Alright, so we're still in Matthew chapter 6, so you can turn there. I actually think before the end of next week I'm going to get through all of chapter 6, even at this pace. Okay, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Um, I'm going to move this tambourine, because if I don't, it's going to get real noticeable at some point. I'm going to make a point. Maybe I need a tambourine. Maybe a tambourine would help me make my points. I could just kind of stomp on it when I want you to remember something. That would be really good. Okay, so um, for some of us, not for all of us, uh, for those of us who grew up in the church, uh, definitely those of us who grew up in a youth group in a church, uh, at some point or another, you probably went to youth camp of some sort. Um, I remember this was probably my first year in youth. We went down to Panama City Beach um, for a youth camp. I got horribly sunburned because I was kind of made to take care of myself for the first time in my life, even though my mom still made sure dad went because she wouldn't let me go on a youth trip without knowing that I was going to be seen at least from afar. Um, So everybody knows kind of how the, everybody who's been to a youth camp will kind of understand the template that you use, you know. First night's always like big, exciting hype, you know, get you excited for the week, get to know the really cool speaker, get to know the really awesome band, get to know your new friends that you're going to be, be making really deep relationships and you'll never forget one another for the rest of your life, which may or may not happen. And then throughout the week, you know, they move a little bit deeper into the teaching that they're going to do. And then, and then you get to Youth Summer Camp Friday night, Right? Youth Summer Camp Friday nights where they pull out all the stops. They're going to play every hard-hitting song that you've been learning that week, and they're going to show every piece of powerful video imagery that they can, probably of the cross, probably, probably of, of what Jesus went through on our behalf, and that's when they're going to do the big Youth Summer Camp Friday night altar call, right? And, and what... What are literally 80% of the people out there going to do? They're going to cry. They're going to leave their seats and, and dead sprint toward the front and fall on their faces. Some of them legitimately. But there's this moment where it's like, I see that everybody is doing this. And I see that everybody wants to see everybody else do this so that we feel comfortable doing this. It's an amazing social experiment that you could do, I'm sure, where you, where you watch and see if, if, if this person goes, the rest of the crowd will go. And so, and so you, like, you cry, you look, you look sad, you walk up, you take all these different postures, and then you go home and nothing has changed except for the fact that all the kids in your youth group know that you cried at youth camp and you walked up to the front, right? You you made yourself look a certain way saying, I'm feeling the weight of this spiritual moment in my life and I want to make sure that you see it. Now, I'm not challenging that there are not legitimate spiritual decisions, spiritual moments in different people's lives that take place at youth camps. I'm not trying to downplay that in its entirety. But I know from my experience, I know any time that I had one of those moments, it was because everybody around me is watching. 
and I want to make sure that I'm being seen as feeling the same things that they're feeling. And it was fake. Which exactly ties in with exactly what we've been talking about, the Pharisees and these religious elite people doing for the last couple of weeks. They've been, they've been taking these legitimate spiritual disciplines, these, these good spiritual moments that we ought to be having, these, these practices that we ought to be participating in, Right? Up to this point, we've talked about giving and we've talked about prayer. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't do those things. But just like this week with fasting, all of these things are things that are not meant for us to attract attention to ourselves. And the Pharisees were again using this spiritual practice to draw attention to themselves. And so as we look at it today, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that but I feel like we've kind of talked about that enough. Like we get the idea of what it's like to be fake and we get the idea of what it's like to try to attract attention to ourselves because we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to read it and we'll talk about it for just a second, but I really want to move forward and get get into other stuff uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18 says, And when you fast... Note it says, when you fast. He's assuming it's going to happen, so he's not saying not to. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a bunch of different places that we can focus in there. But just to get this idea of disfiguring your face, that's the same thing that I associated with uh, Youth Summer Camp Friday night, where we're like, I make sure that I have enough emotion on my face that you you can see that I'm going through something so that I get credit for having gone through this. Um, and, and, and he says in there, and if that's their intention, if they're trying to attract attention to themselves by, by making it like, like I've, I skipped breakfast this morning. It's so awful. I want you to know that I skipped breakfast this morning and I'm really hungry. You know, and people say, well, good for you. He's saying they got exactly what they wanted. They got the praise of the people who they were concerned would not think they were spiritual enough. We're not religious enough. We're not, we're not pious enough, if you want to use that word. And he's saying, they got exactly what they wanted, but that's all they're getting out of it. They're not getting the blessing of God. They're not, they're not getting the communion with God that they were, that, that fasting and all of these other spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about are really encouraging of us. They're getting exactly what they want, which is the praise of men. And here's the thing, and, and I've said this, Caleb said this before me, fasting, just like the rest of these things, is still about the individual connecting with God, communing with God. It's still all about God connecting to your heart. It is still a heart issue. It is not about the fact that you say, I'm going to not eat, or I'm going to do this thing. I'm going, like we said last week, I'm going to pray these words. Or like we said a few weeks ago, I'm going to give this amount of money. It's not about that. It still has not been about that. It's never been about that. It's about God saying, I want your heart, and I want your heart to be in this for the right reasons. So let's look at what 
a poor heart attitude looks like for fasting. If you want to turn to Isaiah 58, you can. We're going to come back to it later. So if you would like to, I'll give you a second to turn there. Um, but Isaiah is filled with lots of warning, lots of, lots of warning of future judgment on Israel. Like you have, your, your heart has, has trailed away from me, and so I'm going to punish you in this way to remind you who I am. Right? And so when you get to Isaiah 58, he's speaking specifically of... So, so Israel at this point is saying, we're fasting, why aren't you answering our prayers? And this is kind of God's response here. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll come back and we'll read the rest of it later. Uh, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. I love when God gets a little sarcastic. Like they, they ask me stuff like they love me. Like, I, I love that, sorry. It's probably because I'm sarcastic. They seek me daily, they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, the day of your fast, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you only fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. So what God is saying here is, When you are fasting, you are fasting for your own benefit. You are not fasting to truly seek my will. You're not fasting to be made closer to me. You're not fasting because of some particular issue that you need need help from God to overcome. He's saying, you're fasting for your own pleasure. You're hoping to get something for you out of this. Or, as soon as you're fasting, you're, you're taking out all of your aggression on everybody else. You're not treating anybody else with love. You're taking, all, you're taking this thing which is supposed to be a moment, a time for you to focus your heart on God, and instead of focusing your heart on God, you're focusing on what you're hoping you're going to get out of this because you're taking this set action. Because, you are, because you're doing something that this action is going to be what, what pleases God, and He's going to answer me because I did this thing. And He's saying, that's still not it, because your heart's not in it. Your heart isn't in the right place. And so what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6 was, so, so when you fast, when, when you the church, when you the believers, when you the ones who, who get this, who understand this heart issue that I'm talking about, when, when you fast, I don't want you to make a show of this. I don't want you to do it for yourself. I don't want you to be trying to attract attention. And so he says, he says you know, wash your face, you know, anoint yourself with oil. And he's not saying these are the things that you have to do when you fast. So he's not saying, so when you fast, the steps that you're supposed to take to fast are make sure you wash your face, make sure you clean up, make sure you put on clean clothes. Because then, just again, you're focusing more on the actions than you are on the heart. This is more of a, a social thing more than it is like an actual religious thing. He's saying, wash your face and all. Like, like don't make a deal of it to the point that the people around you are going to be saying, oh, he's obviously fasting because he's, He's made himself to look this way. He's saying, 
act like you normally would. Look like you normally would because, because you are focusing your attention and your heart on me, not on receiving the praise of the people around you. So he says, these are the things I don't want you to do. What, what, what are some good ways for us to fast? And just in case you don't know what a fast is, um, because I think that's worth saying, because we're not all necessarily on the same page. When I'm talking about fasting, I'm talking about, and I'm going to give you a couple of different types in a second, I'm talking about going without something. Most of the time it's food. Going without eating for a period of time while you seek the heart and will of God. Right? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about fasting. So, so what is God actually looking for from us when we fast? Um, we can look at a couple of different examples throughout Scripture uh, just to kind of get an idea of different types of fasts uh, and just kind of see how different, different figures uh, in the Bible uh, sought the will of God um, through their fast. Uh, the, first one, the first one, is pro- and this is probably what most of us are familiar with when we think of fasting, just kind of a normal fast. And by a normal fast, I mean you go without food for a set period of time. You're still drinking water, like that thing that we need to continue to live, right? You can't, you can't go without water for a long period of time. And so uh, this, is, this is very similar to what Jesus did uh, back in Matthew chapter 4, right, um, when he took 40 days... Um, to fast. He did not eat for 40 days because he knew that God was getting ready to test him. He was getting ready to tempt him to sin. And uh, he took that time to kind of refocus himself, prepare himself for the challenge that was ahead. And so sometimes you'll feel like, I have this important thing coming up. I have this important decision. Or maybe, maybe for you it's a test. Maybe for you it's a, I have this challenging time at work coming up that I know I'm not going to want to really be a part of, or it's going, to be, it's going to be difficult for me to get through, and it's going to be very tempting for me maybe to sin as a reaction to what I'm going to go through for this. If you feel like you have some sort of challenge coming up to you, perhaps this is the kind of example that you should follow, where you say, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to seek God and say, God, I need you to help focus me. I need you to kind of, kind of, Prepare me for this challenge that's ahead so that I don't fail, so that I don't fall away, so that I don't lose focus, so I don't lose sight of what you would have for me in that time. So sometimes you're going to fast to prepare for some sort of upcoming event. Sometimes you're going to fast maybe out of a sense of mourning or maybe just to kind of um, react to something that God has said. Uh, Daniel did this. Uh, he, he had a bunch of visions of this really dark apocalyptic nature, like God casting all this judgment on people. And, and he didn't go completely without food, but he kind of restricted his diet for a while. He, it says he, he drank no wine, and he didn't anoint himself with oil for like three weeks. Uh, just like, God, you have, you, have, you have shown me all of these things that are going to happen as a result of our sin, these judgments that you're going to pass. Uh, and so he says, for this time, he's going he's gonna to separate himself from some of these pleasures so that he can mourn the, the sorrow, the tragedy of what God is going to have to do as a result of our sin. And so for some of us, sometimes that may mean that there is something in our life that is, that is distracting to us, that's maybe hindering our growth. And maybe we need to separate ourselves, not from food, but maybe, maybe for a period of time it's worth, 
you know, think of those things that have, that have a tight grip on you. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe, I'm not saying this, but maybe it's a fountain drink from McDonald's. Maybe in a large form, and maybe it's a Diet Coke. Maybe it's something that you're addicted to like that. I'm not saying we have to go without those. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but, Maybe, yeah, maybe it's Diet Mountain. Maybe it's, for a lot of us, maybe it's soft drinks. No. Um, but maybe there is a particular vice that you have, a particular thing that you just don't think you can live without, and you need to separate yourself from that for a time just to kind of, again, reconnect with God in a way that, that maybe you've become distracted because you have been so given over to Maybe it's some form of media. Maybe it's some, maybe it's some game that you play. Maybe it's some people that you spend time with. Maybe, it's something that, maybe there is something in your life that you need to separate yourself from, not forever, but just for a time, so that you can remind yourself what it is like to live life without that thing. And so that you can kind of refocus yourself. So sometimes you would, you would fast to prepare yourself for an upcoming event. Sometimes you would separate yourself from something that maybe had its grip on you, something that you just needed to, to separate yourself from for a time. Maybe you were mourning some bad news that you heard. Maybe you are in a really urgent situation where it is vital that you quickly seek the will of God. Uh, there are a couple of different examples. Uh, I'm going to use one here. Um, of an absolute fast. And by absolute, I mean no food, no water. Now, I, I can't stress enough that if you go without water for a long period of time, you're going to die. So, so when I say absolute fast, the examples we have of absolute fasts in the Bible are usually at very urgent points and for very short, intense periods of time. Uh, the best example that I have uh, was from Esther. If you're familiar with the story of Esther, you have... You have this girl who ends up being, being kind of taken from her people to be married to the king, and uh, this really manipulative, evil guy decides that he wants to kill all of the people of God, and to save the people of God, Esther has to go to the king and ask him not to do this, which in this culture is against the law and punishable by death. To just walk up to the king unannounced, you don't do. And so... She knows that the king is about to, to do away with all of her people, and she's told, you have to go talk to the king. And she says, I might die if I do that. And he says, and her uh, uncle says, you, you got to do this. This is the only way that we have to survive. This is the only way that God is going to continue to fulfill his promise to our people. And so she says, well, then for three days, I want you to fast eat no food, drink no water, and I will do the same thing. And we'll seek God, and then I'll go and talk to the king. And whatever happens, happens. And so, because she knew that this was a life or death situation, either for her or for her people, she said, this is an, as important a time as can be. We're going to separate ourselves from everything so that we are completely focused only on seeking the will of God and asking that he would protect her and protect their people. I don't know that any of us have gotten to that point where it's like, this is such an urgent moment. This is such an important time in my life that I'm ready to give up. 
literally everything to seek God and say, God, I need you to help me get through this or show me what it is that you need to do. I don't know that many of us have gotten to that point. And then one last type of fast that we see in Scripture are these national or corporate fasts, which is, which is interesting because, because if you hear what Jesus is saying in chapter 6, it sounds a whole lot like he's saying, the only time you fast is by yourself. You don't ever want anybody else to know. But at the same time, Israel had these national fasts. Uh, the Day of Atonement, they all fasted together. Or in times of national crisis, the people would all fast together. A great example of this is Ezra chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. Um, in Ezra, the people have been in captivity, and they're getting ready to leave captivity to come back to rebuild the temple. Uh, and, and Ezra is, talking, is writing, and he's talking about what he said to the people. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is good, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. So what he's saying is, we were, the people were all in this together, and it was a time of urgent need for the people to be protected. And so he said, we're all going to fast together. We're all going to seek the will of God together. And so, so I don't want us to get that, that what Jesus is again saying is that fasting is only meant to be solo. It's not meant to be done corporately. He's saying it's not meant to be done so, so out in the open to attract attention to yourselves. It's not meant to be making much of yourself, but if you go through it together, that's okay. If there's a thing that you're all seeking the will of God on together, perhaps that's something worth doing. So again, I gave you four kind of examples, like a normal fast where you just no food or drink except for water. Uh, maybe restricting your diet. Maybe it's super urgent and you need an absolute fast. Maybe there's something that you and a group of people are going through together and you're going to fast corporately as a group. So what is it that God's looking for? And what's God going to do with our fast? If you still have Isaiah 58, you can turn back there. And I'm going to read the end of the chapter. Picking up in verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, 
Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I'll stop there. So what he's saying is, once you get this right, once your heart and my heart are in the same place, like we talked about last week, like when we said, when our will and the will of God are in the same place, it's easy for us to obey him, right? When our heart is in the right place when we fast, when we are truly seeking the will of God, when we are truly saying, God, I need you right now, and we aren't, we aren't fasting just so that we get something for ourselves, whether it's the affection of the people around us or we're trying to do some action so that God will give us something superstitiously. But when our hearts align with God's, here's what he says. You're going to call to me on that day and I'm going to be like, I'm here. I got you. I've got your back. He even says that. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I think that's essentially, I've got your back. He says, when your heart's in the right place, you realize that you're separating yourself from, from food and you realize there are other people around me that need food. So instead of making it about yourself, you're seeing other people whose needs you can meet. He's saying, you, you, you've, you've, you've moved the focus away from yourself and you see all these other opportunities to serve other people, to make much of other people, to, to relieve the burdens of other people. And that's when God is going to hear you. Because he's going to say, your heart and my heart are in the same place now. Because, because you're looking for others. You're looking, you're looking to fight for the good of the people around you, just like the heart of God. He's looking to fight for the good of people. And that's when he's going to hear your cry. If you, in, in verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. It doesn't matter what you're going around, what you're going through, because your heart is going to be in the same place as the heart of God, and you're going to, to love that, to relish that. And then, and then it says God will get you through what you're suffering. And then verse 12, this is my favorite part, I think. This is my favorite part. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You have to think about what the message was that Isaiah had for the people of God. The message was, you guys have sinned. God's going to punish you. God's going to send you away. Everything that you know is going to be destroyed. But what he's saying is, once your heart and God's heart are in the same place again, God is still going to be faithful to fulfill the promise that he made, to make you a great nation, to build you back up, to make you into something. That promise hasn't gone away. That promise doesn't disappear. God is still going to continue to be faithful. So once, once your heart and God's heart are in the same place, you're going to remember the big picture. Those things that we were talking about praying last week, pray that the big picture of God's plan would happen. When you're willing to let go of all of the stuff that's in your life, whether it's something you need to separate yourself from for a short period of time, or whether it's 
you need to seek the will of God so that you can understand what you're supposed to do next or whether you're going through something really urgent and really painful and you need something from him right then. Once you, don't, once you realize that you don't need food and water and these things to sustain you, to satisfy you, once you realize that what actually is going to satisfy you is going to be having God, having his heart, being for what he is for, once you get to that point, that's when you see the big picture. That's when you see what he's going to accomplish. That's when you see what he has already promised he will finish. And so what I hope that our hearts are ready for is to, like we sang right before, the taste of eternity is on our lips. This idea that that there is something better for us than just the next meal we're going to eat. There is something more satisfying for us than just that Diet Coke that I'm going to get on the way home. There's something more important to us than just knowing that the people around us think we're spiritual enough to be close to God. So that we can stop pretending, stop faking, stop putting on a show so that other people think we get it. And instead, ask God to help us actually get it. Help us to actually know his heart, actually know his will, actually be satisfied just by him. To only need him. To only need him to sustain us, to satisfy us. And so, when we pray in just a minute, I want us to just ask God to give us him as our only desire. I don't want us to be so defined by I need this thing, or I need this meal, or I want to eat this, or I want to do this, or I want to have this. And instead, just say, God, I want to want you, and I want to be satisfied only having you. So let's pray.